not just us speaking. Uh, we also have a guest speaker with us today. If you'd like to introduce him, Jeff. Yep. So today um, we have a listener who reached out to us after um, listening to our episodes and basically presented one of the articles he'd written, and we thought it was incredibly interesting. Um, so we'd love to introduce Baopu He from up in Sydney. Uh, how are you going today? I'm going well today. It's a nice Sunday in Sydney right now. Good weather. Yeah, it's pretty good. And basically, we invited him onto the podcast because we wanted him to give us some more thoughts on uh, the article that he wrote, tell us a bit about himself. And also, we wanted to discuss uh, quite a few topics that have been on, on our minds uh, relating to sort of the future of languages, um, how our kids are going to be able to learn like the languages, like our mother tongues and stuff like that, like all that sort of stuff when you think about the future of multiculturalism and how, you know, societies in the West are going to operate once, you know, the next generation, they are just dominantly brought up within mm. a Western culture. So mm. uh, why don't you start us off by introducing yourself to us, Baofu, and uh, sort of tell us one weird habit you might have. <laughs> tell you one of ours. Okay. Okay. <laughs> God, how do I keep it to just one? Um, so, uh, well, my name is Baofu here. I'm a law student at the University of Sydney right now. I'm in my fifth year. So well on my way. I'm kind of sick of uni right now, but that's another story. Fair. Um, and so while I'm studying a law degree right now for my arts, so I did a double degree and for my arts degree, um, I majored in Japanese, but I did a lot and a lot of uh, linguistic subjects um, and I'm part of that part of my linguistics degree I, I was very lucky enough to work for um, a linguistics project conducted by the Australian National University called Sydney Speaks which looked into linguistic diversity in the English spoken in Sydney and that's where my whole interest in like accents and like how identity affects the way we speak that's where it all really started so yeah I'm very, very excited to be here today we're excited to have you. And a weird habit you have? Okay, weird habit. <laughs> so one thing I've picked up very recently, just from this um, exam period, well, I mean, Isabel, you probably know, for law, we have to read a lot and a lot mm. of, like, you know, textbooks, everything, <laughs> cases, and it gets pretty boring, and I have a really low attention span. So to keep things a little bit interesting for myself, when I read things, I have to read them out loud. Um, to force me to finish it. But to make it interesting for myself, I always read it out loud in an accent. Um, <laughs> oh. so, yeah, so like when I'm reading like, you know, my you know federal constitutional law, I'm like, you know, under section 51 of the Australian constitution, <laughs> like parliament can make law. So something like that. Um, and, like law and order. Yeah, yeah. I love that, um, I love that. But the, the problem is like, I, I've done that so much, which to the point that naturally now, when I read something out loud, doesn't matter if it's like law textbooks or not, it just comes out in an accent. And it's not my like, <laughs> Um, so that's my that's my weird habit. That's cool though. <laughs> I feel like that's a learning that. technique. Yeah, I really like that. But the problem is, is like while it keeps things interesting, sometimes I get too carried away with trying to do the accent that you know I read a page and have no idea what I just read. <laughs> I was just focusing on like getting the sounds right and not the yeah. content. So well, it's a double edged sword. For that's sure. Good. Well, if law doesn't work out, maybe you can take up like voice <laughs> acting. <or something>. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan. No, fantastic, fantastic. I mean, I guess to segue then, um, mm. you know, it's topical how you know you use accents to help you with your learning. How did mm. you get interested in linguistics in the first place? Oh, that's a great question. So, well, during high school, um, I studied Japanese. Like Japanese was my thing. Loved anime, manga, Me all too. of that. But yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> you know such a was such a huge part of 
um, my upbringing. But more than that, just studying the language itself, I found it really fascinating. Um, not just like, you know, um, the culture surrounding it, but like the actual structure of the language, mm. how the grammar worked, um, how the syntax worked, all of that I found really, really interesting. And I was very lucky, one of my high school Japanese teachers um, studied linguistics at university, and he would teach us all these grammatical constructs and everything um, through linguistics. And linguistics, when you sort of, abs when you abstract language to its core, it's very mathematical. And I really like mm. maths as well. So mm. it was really interesting kind of analyzing language from a more rigorous um, theoretical basis. And I was just, I loved it and got to uni, um, get a couple of linguistics units and um, got really good marks with them. So I was like, wham booster, keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, but I mean, language is so, you know, it's all around us and yeah. it's really, it's so intuitive and so innate in all of us that we often forget how amazing it is. Oh, um, yeah. And so we take it for good, granted. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the good thing about linguistics is you kind of take a, you know, you stop and you look at the wider picture and you realize like, wow i mean words everything that's so amazing and yeah yeah all i mean on that note um what languages do you speak because you know jeff you speak you're bilingual mandarin no trilingual yeah mandarin and cantonese but it's like oh. it's always hard explaining the difference yeah. to people because yeah. yeah. they're like isn't yeah. that just chinese it's like well oh, mm. God. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah 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 uh, so i speak um so you know english and mandarin chinese are pretty much my native languages yeah. um i mean it's hard to say which one is my mother tongue because i pretty much grew up with both of them at home um i spoke chinese with my parents but everywhere else i spoke english so yeah and then at school um i learned japanese and that became my major at university i was very lucky to spend a year on exchange in japan oh, so, amazing. yeah oh best year of my life but um, how <laughs> is your japanese because like i'm always super disappointed in myself i've watched <laughs> anime since i was 10 years old uh, and uh, i know nothing yeah <laughs> i know i don't know anything that's that's the thing when i was when i was like um in high school i'd always be when you know when i didn't want to study i'd be like i'll just watch anime that's like studying you know because i'm like japanese mm. but mm. um um my japanese now i guess i can live in japan when i was in japan i did all my courses in japanese oh, wow. um so it's all right but you know it's a difficult language and yeah for sure i mean i won't die if you drop me in japan but i probably I, i'll never be native fluent if mm. that makes sense yeah. um yeah oh and now um because during quarantine i had nothing else to do i started learning french on duolingo <gasps> I was like, I should have, I should have studied French instead of Japanese. <laughs> like, or I, I enrolled in a couple of classes at the Alliance Francaise, but because of um, coronavirus, like it was just very difficult to continue yeah. doing it online of and course. stuff. But yeah, I love French. It's really cool. Oh, it's fantastic. Great language. That's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I, uh, I tried to pick up, um, and actually I'm learning Mandarin right now, oh, but awesome, struggling awesome. a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to, I, I guess, like say about this. Um, but Jeff and I had a brief conversation mm. before about how we often find that when we speak different languages, we often change. Just Ooh, subtle per yes. changes in our personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know, but for example, in English, I find that I'm super polite. Mm. I always say my pleases and thank yous. Yeah, Whereas yeah. when I speak Vietnamese, I often find I'm a lot more blunt. I'm rash. so rough. When yeah, I, I don't really say please yeah. and thank yous as yeah. much. Yeah, well, I think that's, more, that's also a cultural thing as well. Because mm. it's like, 
I don't know. I you could you might be able to test this, Falco, um, but it's just like in Asian cultures, it's like when I say thank you to like people in my family, they'll be like, mm. "Why are you saying thank mm. you?" you know, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Don't, don't be so like formal and stuff like that. Like your <laughs> family, like, why are you doing that? And they almost get like pissed off at me. Um, so it could I've, heavily much be a cultural thing. Yeah. I've like legit had that exact same conversation with my parents. I would say like, you know, they do something for me and I'd be like, oh, shit, yeah, which means thank you in Chinese. Yeah. And they'd be like, why did you just say that to me? I'm like, I'm like, do you think I'm a stranger? Like, yeah, do you yeah. think I'm a stranger? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's such an interesting question. I've noticed that as well. One thing in particular um, about like sort of, um, I, I guess it's kind of similar um, in the sense that I'm better at expressing certain emotions in Chinese than I am mm. in English and mm. vice versa. And the reason for that is um, I've never really, for the emotions I'm thinking about in particular are anger sadness rage stuff like that and the reason is because i've never really had to get angry at people in english like i've just the opportunity has never arisen mm. whereas you know when i'm arguing with my parents it's always in chinese um so i've just had a lot more practice um being angry in chinese such that mm. it feels a lot more natural um I, w- I used to tutor a couple of kids and you know kids were slacking off not listening to me i'm um, not doing their homework and i tried to get angry but it just felt so fake <laughs> But I just felt, felt in that moment, if I used Mandarin Chinese, I would be able to tell them off like that. And it would feel so, so much more natural. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's definitely true. It's like based on our usage of language, we associate, you know, certain languages with certain things. And so it's kind of hard to sort of disassociate them from that. And naturally, that leads to us adopting sort of different personalities when we speak them, I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm. They've done a lot of research into this, haven't they? Mm. It's just like the way your brain is... The, the way your brain fires when you switch the language is really different because it's just yeah. like you're kind of you're i guess you're almost removing yourself from like the culture that you're normally speaking in like australian and you're going into like chinese or Vietnamese, yeah, yeah, and it's definitely. just like a completely different world yeah. and then that's what dictates a lot of how you speak which yeah, is yeah. like i'm i'm just so blunt when i speak in like yeah. Cantonese <laughs> at home and it's just yeah. like whenever anyone comes over like um, when my partner comes over, she's just always like I'm really scared because it sounds like we're just all screaming at each other. But yeah, it's just yeah. like, yeah. but that's just like how we talk. And, yeah, and yeah. That's um, mm. yeah. Just like you, like I'm, I like never get angry, and it's like very, very difficult for me to do that yeah. in English. But it's like Cantonese. I think it's just like it just comes out. It comes with Definitely. language. It's, just and it's just natural. Like, yeah. yeah, it feels <laughs> a lot more natural. Yeah. Speaking of though, I feel like whenever I see like you know, my parents or, like, my family speaking Vietnamese, like, often it's really loud, it's really, like, mm, mm, fresh, mm. even though they, they're not particularly angry, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, yeah, they could yeah. be talking about something so banal, like food, but, yeah. like, how they express that, yeah, you know, it um, comes off as quite aggressive. Definitely, quite definitely. Yeah. Like, from the outside, they're like, oh, are they okay? Like, what's happening? But yeah, exactly. We're just talking about dinner, exactly. so, like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, but yeah. no, I, I think it just brings home the fact that, um, yeah, there's so much cultural nuance mm, in like mm. how we express ourselves and within kind of each language and like what that imbues and how kind of that is perceived yeah, um, yeah. in the world. Um, but I want to talk more about your article. Oh. Um, so <laughs> we'll link you, we'll link to our listeners um, the link to this article again mm. because it's quite fascinating. Mm. Um, but essentially, you know, it's called the quest for the asian australian accent um do you want to talk about yeah um i, I don't want to admit this but it only t- i only realized today why it was called oh my god <laughs> i thought it was this like linguistics term and i was like oh you know it's a technical term it's like something that, and then like 
I was reading it again today. I was like, wait, is, is that just, oh my God. <laughs> and then, and then I, and then I rewatched, um, Neil's videos. Yeah. I was like, yep, that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why don't you, why don't you tell us a bit more about the article itself yeah. for, for our listeners who haven't actually read it? Yeah, no worries. So, well, pretty much you go you, um, to, to sort of like summarize the article, you have to first go back to me as a 13 year old, 12 year old in um, year seven back at school. Um, for one of our classes, I think tech technology, we made a clock and then we had to do a presentation on time. And so, you know, I decided to make a video. Um, I made it, put in a lot of effort because I was in year seven, didn't know that, you know, I school was just really cool to me. Um, I made it and then I showed it to my mum and then she really, she loved it. And then she showed it to all her colleagues, um, which is a really cringe thing now that I think about it. But um, she showed it to all her colleagues and she was obviously very excited about it. She's like, oh, look what my son made. And then her colleagues, who are mostly white Australian, told her, she, they were like, your son, he speaks with, a, with an accent. You know, it kind of speaks with a Hong Kong accent. And my mom, she was like, you know, she didn't really know how to react to that. She was like, what? I didn't spend all that money on English tutoring for my son to speak with an accent, you know. So she came over to me and she told me, she's like, well, you know, my colleagues say you speak with this weird Asian accent. And obviously, I, I've grown up my whole life in Australia. You know, English is my, my most fluent in English. So I was like, oh, accent? No, I don't. You know, I'm Australian. I, you know, I don't, might not look Australian, but, you know, at least I sound Australian. Um, and so I was very, very indignant about the fact that someone, a stranger, said that I sounded a little bit different, that I, you know, spoke with an accent. To me, it seems almost as if they were like, you know, attacking my Australianness. Mm. Um, so that happened in year, uh, when I was in year seven. And throughout the years, I continue hearing these like whispers of people being like, you know, kind of, you know, kind of speaks a little strange, that guy. And so... I didn't really pay much attention to it until I think I was in year 11. I watched a video by um, this Sydney comedian called Neil Kohatka. And I think the video was um, comparing how white girls and Asian girls study. Like one of those like cultural comparison videos. I found it really, really funny at the time. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, a good But the thing that like really like clicked, what it just amazed me was the fact that the accent he did for the Asian girl was not like, you know, a normal Australian, broad Australian accent. But it also wasn't, you know, the, you know, the Mai Choni sort of, hello, I'm Yara, mm. that type of accent. It wasn't that either. It was this weird sort of mix between the two almost. And I listened to it and I was like, this accent sounds really, really, really familiar for some reason. And then it clicked. I realized that that was my accent and that was the accent of everyone around me because I went to a school which was like 99% Asian and everyone spoke like that. Mm. And then I realized, oh my God, back in year seven when that, you know, my mom's colleague said that your son speaks with an accent, maybe there was some truth to that. Maybe, you know, he wasn't being sort of, you know, racist. It was just saying what he heard. And so that really, really intrigued me. Um, and when I got to university, that only... Um, going from like a very Asian school to university where you have people from all over Sydney, all different backgrounds and cultural heritages. And just, I just, I just could not stop hearing it. Like people from different ethnicities speaking in different ways, all of that mm. is really, really interesting um, to me. And like once I was on a train um, and then two 
uni students behind me were speaking um, and without even looking, I just knew they were Asian. Like without even seeing yeah. that, and it wasn't—it wasn't because they were talking about something really Asian. Mm. It wasn't like they were talking about, you know, getting bubble tea or watching K dramas. They were talking about you know, just normal uni student stuff. But I just knew they were Asian from the accent. And so, um, in my second year of uni, I did a course on sociolinguistics, which is the branch of linguistics which looks um, directly into how society and like you know our identities shape language use. I did it, and it just gave me an opportunity to um, further explore the topic because um, I, I got to do a research project, which was really, really cool. Um, and what I found was that um, I think it definitely exists and it makes sense that it exists because um, I guess it's probably the same in Melbourne as well. Like mm. both very, very sizable Asian populations mm. who grew up here, you know, not just first generation, but second generation Asian populations um, who spend a lot of time together, and it's only natural that, you know, a unique way of speaking has emerged amongst them. Um, so, yeah, so that's my article in a summary. Um, no, that was yeah, a fantastic yeah, yeah, summary. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess, like, I'm interested to think about, like, what do you think are the sort of the defining features of the language? Yeah. So you talk to bits about it, I see bits about, like, vowels and how those are spoken. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, what do you think kind of influence that language more broadly yeah. is it something that they've tried to emulate mm. is it something that um maybe it's just picking up things from home and then mm. carrying it on to their everyday yeah. usage but yeah but what do you think it yeah, is? that's a great question and it, it is really the sort of the heart of um all the research done on it right now it's like what exactly makes it you know the accent and accent so firstly just um during in my own sort of research i found that um, people could definitely identify it when they heard it, but it would still—it's still quite difficult to point out what the actual sounds are, like what, what makes it unique. People can hear it, but they can't tell you exactly why they can hear it, like why it sounds different. And so, when I think about um, features which kind of make it what it is, um, firstly, you have very obvious things like the fact that a lot of Asians, um, even though English is their first language still struggle to pronounce th the and th um they it turns into a d so what's the problem instead of what's the problem stuff like that um and more subtle things like um vowels as well um so in the neil cole hatka video uh the the catchphrase sort of of the asian character is oh my god like yeah <laughs> Yeah, like so it's not like you know normally we would say like oh my god like oh my god yeah um but so many people i know when they say it, it's like oh my god like what are you doing oh how do i say yeah um oh it's really weird when you're like self-reporting yeah yeah that? that's the thing um, oh my oh my god yeah i don't know the more you say it the more yeah you no say it's it. kick, yeah, exactly yeah. that's the that's the difficulty with a lot of this because as soon as you become aware of it you know, it just, it's like yeah, a snowflake, it vanishes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, for example, the vowel of um, gore and then, so that, what you see there is like um, consonants kind of get dropped at the end of words. So, oh my God, the D at the end becomes like an A-W, oh my God, stuff yeah. like that. Um, and other stuff, for example, when we say no, the Australian no already is extremely weird to begin with. I think I read on mm. Twitter, which is like, it's like having all the vowels together um, and saying them in a no. row, no. no. But um, no. yeah, 
Um, but like a lot of Asians, the way they say no is like no. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> you put that on the neck. Yeah. You put that on the head. Yeah. Oh my god. And so many people are like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know. I've heard that. Oh my yeah, god, that's crazy. Yeah. Sorry. So it's yeah. definitely. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, there are definite features that you can um, identify. And mm. one thing I've noticed recently, um, another valve, which I've thought could potentially be a source of um, difference is the A vowel in words like Asian or teenager. Um, normally when we would say we'd be like Asian, teenager, but a lot of Asians, they kind of make the A almost into like an A-Y. So it's like Asian, teenager. Oh. So um, so this oh. is very subtle differences um, that sort of give the accent, I guess, its color. But of course, those are like, um, I'm just picking out things right now. And there's probably so many more um, sort of mm. phonetic details there, which probably haven't been discovered yet, even though we're hearing it mm. all the time. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things to still be researched onto this. It's an exciting field. <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean, you said that you, you know, um, went to high school with a predominantly Asian cohort. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how that differs with Jeff and I, because I went to a pretty white school, mm. and so did Jeff. And I don't know if, like, my accent is as strong as, like, this Australian accent, sorry, Asian-Australian accent that you have said, mm, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, like, I wrote in the email to you that my accent is, like, it's it's literally a product of, like, going to a predominantly white yeah, school. Yeah, like, yeah. I sound quite bogey, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And one thing that happens, this is maybe my weird habit, the more nervous I am, the more bogan I get. <laughs> um, I don't know why it happens. It, it could just be... It, honestly, if you go real deep, it could be a defense mechanism because I, I, mean, I don't yeah, I don't want to be excluded. Or, you know, I don't want people to think I'm not from within their tribe. Yeah, it's right. literally just like putting my shields up. But, yeah, so the, the accent that you're saying is not something that I've heard a lot of yeah. here in Melbourne. I'm sure some something similar exists yeah. to it. But yeah, it just feels really, it feels like foreign to me. Mm. The, the thing is, I feel like I recall those accents from friends who like, have went to selective schools mm. um, that predominantly do have Asian you know, cohorts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's less fascinating, you know, like is it a product of both like, you know, your yeah. environment, but also perhaps, mm. yeah, this amalgamation of, your accent at home, yeah. like your native tongue, um, coupled with English. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, interesting. that's a really um, like great question. And it kind of almost links to what Jeff, you said about when you feel nervous, you um, you sort of default into this Bogan accent. Um, and the reason I say that is because, um, for, okay, I'll just use myself as an example. Um, I went to a school, a selective school, 99% Asian. Um, and for six years of my life, I kind of, I just kind of forgot the fact that I was Asian, if that makes sense, because mm. everyone around me was Asian. Being Asian really just wasn't a big part of my life. It was just like, mm. it was just like um, something that was kind of a given, you know, everyone's Asian. Yeah. So in that sort of setting um, where you, you're, not, you're not defined by your race because everyone around you is Asian, what happens is you kind of exist in this sort of bubble from the outside world, because we know Australia isn't like that at all. But the thing is, one effect of that is that you're kind of insulated from the pressures of wanting to sound for maybe more broadly Australian, mm. which, I, Jeff, I imagine is maybe one of the reasons why when you feel nervous, you mm, default yeah, back sure, into the, sure. those pressures of trying wanting to sound like um, the mainstream just 
didn't exist at all because at my school talking like this like oh my god that was the mainstream so mm, right because of That's that interesting. and a lot of the thing is like um the reason why for example most of us didn't even know we spoke with an accent was because we had no points of reference i from mm. six years of high school the amount of like white people my age i talked to i could probably count with um two hands so That's yeah right. so um right. we've had totally like, the inverse yeah yeah so um yeah it's really, really interesting. So without, and also you have to remember that high school at that age, when you're going through puberty and early um, adulthood, that is like a crucial formative part of your life. Um, you know, events which happen in those, that period of your life can have, you know, significant ramifications for when you're older. And so during that most formative period of your life, you're kind of insulated from these racial pressures of the external society. Um, it's only natural that, you know, because you, you're not, you don't experience any of that, you're mm. almost able to sort of grow a little bit more organically, if that makes sense. Uh, do you think that's a positive thing? So that's a... Like you were saying, yeah, being insulated from that. Do you think that's... I, is that a positive yeah, thing? I mean, that's a, like a huge discussion people have all the time about whether these, these um, ethnic enclave schools, like the one I went to, um, are good or if they're bad. And mm. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a mixed bag because on one hand... Um, you know, a lot of people report, like, once they get to uni, they struggle to talk to white people, um, or they struggle relating to just mainstream Australians, because everyone around them, you know, for the much, for the whole of their life, were Asian. But also, I think about it somewhat more positively, in the sense that I, during high school, I never thought, like, I couldn't do, like, um, public speaking, I couldn't do a musical because I was Asian. Like I just, race just didn't even occur to me as like a factor. Mm. Um, and so when you just don't define yourself by who, like your Asian-ness, you end up defining yourself by other things like, oh, I really like to play volleyball or um, mm. the fact that I really like reading uh, 20th century literature, that's my personality. So it's a, it's, it's a mixed bag, I think. Um, but mm. in terms of the linguistic ramifications of it is that, Asians in who've been to these types of schools leave them speaking a little different from the rest of society and um mm. yeah that's that's what I have to say for that question <laughs> no that's fascinating I mean I'm curious to see how that has evolved mm. I mean personally in your experience do you think especially studying law mm. right that's so yeah, you know, heavily yeah. English based you know you know every word mm. is so important mm. um do you think that has shaped how your accent or has it ch changed at all, do you think? Or do you think mm. um, it's adapted yeah. or evolved in some way? Um, that's also a, what, another really, really good question. So um, for me, at least, when I'm talking, um, you know, one thing, it's an important thing is to say is that no one just has just one accent. You know, the way we speak will always change depending on our social setting. Um, the way we speak at an interview will be completely different from the way um, we speak at the pub with our friends. So firstly, we, or everyone, it doesn't matter if you're Asian, white, whatever, everyone already has a lot of social identities um, for their language. For me, at least, when I got to university, I always found that when I was like in a tutorial asking questions, you know, I would default into a much more neutral Australian accent, like the way mm, I'm speaking right, right. now. Um, and that mm. it was almost unconscious. It wasn't because, oh, I'm not proud of being Asian. I don't, it's just, 
it's just an unconscious thing. And maybe there are wider sort of racial tensions which cause that. But um, I think for the most part, so when I'm with my Asian friends, I go back to speaking like this. But in, an, in another setting, maybe when I'm at work or when I'm in a tutorial, speak like this. If you can hear the difference, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so at university, um, people have been have told me that, you know, sometimes like if they haven't seen me for a long time, like after summer break, um, like just now after quarantine, I saw a couple of friends after a long time and they talked to me and they're like, you sound completely like an LB again. Because <laughs> <laughs> they weren't Asian, like in the sense that, you know, so when I talked to them previously, I was probably, you know, speaking like a just a neutral Australian accent. But because I hadn't mm-hmm. talked to anyone except my parents for the past 90 days, it just slipped back to my um, my natural sort of LB accent. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, right. for sure. That's cool. Um, I'm interested because I was, I was reading through your article. I guess this is more of a technical mm. question in terms of... Um, how linguists go about conducting mm. those experience. You, uh, experiments. Sorry, um, you s- mentioned that they conduct spontaneous speech yes. experiments. Now, I know what that is because we were just talking about it. Like once you become aware mm. of the accent or a certain way you're talking, you try and neutralize it. Um, but it's like in my head, I don't know how you go about conducting yeah. a spontaneous speech experiment. Like I feel like you're just following mm. someone. Mm. Like just hope, like you know, catching them in their like natural environment, yeah. that sort of thing. Like, how do how do you go about conducting well, um, these speech experiments? Yeah, so it's the it's um oh, I don't know what's the correct term. It's like the observer's paradox or something. Like when just by observing something, you change the way it behaves. Mm. So that's a huge mm. problem in linguistics because um we're all so good at language that we can change it like that as soon as we think mm. that you know. That our situation is different. We won't talk in our natural way, um, and so what happens when you can when we conduct linguistic interviews? What we do is that we try to ease people into natural conversation because normally, when you're very engrossed in a conversation and what you're talking about, um, you tend to forget about like your accent and everything, and you tend to focus more on just what you're saying and not the way you're saying it. So. The trick is, so um, I would conduct like hour-long interviews with people and I'd have like um, 10 or so topics in my head that I needed to cover. Um, And the trick was sort of just directing people into areas which you know they have a lot of interest in and that they can just get carried away speaking about. Because once people get carried away, Mm. they start speaking the most with their most natural accent. And that's when you get the precious Mm, um, sort of data you can use for analysis. So the, the thing about that, so like, pretty much everything you capture at the beginning of the interview, you can't use because they're nervous. They're still, you know, getting used mm. to like talking mm. to you. Yeah. It's not the natural way of speaking. They're adopting like a personality to show you. But as soon as you, you know, you talk about their hobbies, they go back to like the good old natural self. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. How is the movie Arrival <laughs> viewed in the linguistic yes. context? I, I yeah. love that movie. I love that movie, but it's just like, is that <laughs> how realistic is that movie in terms of what a linguist is actually capable of doing? Yeah, you know, that's. I mean, I've watched Arrival three times. It's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. Ever. It's so good. But the first thing we're like taught in linguistics is like the um. So the underlying hypothesis of Arrival is the language we speak um, affects the way we think. 
and the limits of our yeah, language yeah. are the limits of our cognition, stuff like that. And the first thing they teach you in linguistics 1001 is that that's complete bullshit. So, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a beautiful idea, you know, thinking like, oh, you know, when I think in Chinese, I can unlock this part of my brain. And when I think in English, but it's, there is no evidence for that. Or, and even if it exists, it doesn't exist to the extent that it can tangibly affect our lives. Um, so the yeah. underlying, pre- I, I know I was really disappointed to find out That's as well, the but the underlying premise of the arrival that, you know, cause in that movie, she thinks in the alien language, which has like no tense. So she can see into the future. Um, that's a really cool yeah. concept, but it just, it's, it, it's, it has no basis in like empirical evidence, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's a great movie mm-hmm. and it's I'm really, it's, it is a great it's very movie. good actually yeah. of showing how, um, sort of linguists do field work and uh, how they sort of um, translate languages which have no translations yet. Um, you know, I, that one scene where she walks across the pain and then she runs across to show the difference between mm. walk and run. Like that's, I think, what linguists yep. actually do. So that part is really, really cool. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Mm. No, it's good to know. I love that movie, but it was just like, oh, is this like... How accurate is this? Yeah, you know, like, is this... Maybe I should consider switching jobs. I want to I wanna talk to Abby as well. If that day yeah. ever comes. Yeah. Uh, I guess, like, as a last point on mm. the article before we move on, I, I really loved the last paragraph. Um, mm. And mm. it was... I guess it was that part where you talked about Asians being considered... that It's, it's like a... It's a two-way street. You're either considered too exotic or you've just mm. blended in and it's seamless yeah and yeah. i don't know just thinking about that it's 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 so true it just feels like it's it's not even funny anymore um yeah. because you think yeah. about it but then it's just like you were proposing the idea that maybe ethnolex is like the idea of just like make maybe bridging it maybe creating more diversity mm. on that spectrum yeah um mm. how far away do you think that is well i mean just firstly on the sort of division so like um the the actual the words used in the the research paper i quoted was that asians are either considered um forever foreigners or honorary whites Mm. and there is little sort of light and gray in between so and uh, we can see that in a popular media as well um the scant asian representation that exists um you either have the the parents generation who speak with very obvious asian accents or you have the um, children who are already completely westernized mm. and much of the plot goes just from the conflict between the first generation, second generation, between Asia and the West, mm. stuff like that. But there is rarely sort of middle ground of like um, sort of exploring how Asians interact with other Asians, um, like how second generation a- Asians interact with other second generation Asians. Um and so there is that weird binary, which doesn't necessarily reflect reality because I'm not sure if it's the same case with you, but in Sydney, at least, I mean, the Asians, in, there's the joke that all the Asians in Sydney know each other. Mm. Um, it's like a little village. Everyone is so tightly connected with each other. And um, most Asians spend time with other Asians. So there is definitely fertile ground for um, a unique a truly hybrid culture emerging whether you know it will actually emerge it's hard to say now but 
you know, t- 10 years ago, who would have thought, like, you know, LBs, LGs, all of that would become a big thing? Yeah, where did so, that even come yeah. from? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was um, just Asians trying to, like, carve their own space. Why you know? little, though? Yeah. True. Why True. little? Yeah, it's, I, it's like, all all these, like, weird sort of... Oh, that, this is actually a really um, interesting point, I think, Um, just, like, in terms of Asian slang words. And, you know, there really isn't that much. It's not like, for example, African-American vernacular mm. English, which has a huge library of, like, unique slang words. For Asians, we don't really have that much. Mm. Um, Good point. Any ethnolectic variety is just sort of the way we speak the accent. So the words we use are pretty much the same as, you know, a normal white person. But, um, for example, LB and LG, that is definitely an example mm. of um, Asian Australian slang. And um, where it comes from, I have no idea. I wanted to do like um, I wanted to do more research into it. And the earliest um, example of it being said I could fa- find was from 2013, um, and it was already being chucked around like it was a slang word. So it's obviously existed a lot earlier than that. But um, yeah, another really interesting. Sorry, I know this is a I, another ta- weird tangent, but I think it's really really interesting. Yeah, no, no, go go. Uh, another an, another slang word um, in Sydney, at least is the word caps. So I when I... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we yeah. have that here as well. We do we? Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, yeah. So when we say caps, normally, um, you know, we think capsules. So like, you know, the drugs, right? Yeah. Oh, like, wait, is that not cap- what it is? So no, that's the thing. Oh, so okay. when I was in... Um, <laughs> it's like really weird going to uni uh, and, you know, hearing very naive, clueless, sweet, you know... Um, first year Asians being like, oh my God, let's go take caps, <laughs> like in public. And everyone's like, what the hell? What the yeah. hard, you know, hardcore. But what they meant is, you know, those Japanese sticker photos? Japanese? Japanese. Oh, the ones that come out of the machines? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you can like decorate them. Oh. Like the super kawaii, like. Yeah. And so um, Asians in Australia and Sydney, at least, call those things caps. caps. Oh. And the reason, the reason is because for the longest time, the only place you could take them was at Capitol Theatre in the city. Oh. So Capitol Theatre got, you know, converted down to caps. And that's why, you know, you have like 13, 14 year old high school girls being like, oh my God, let's go take caps. <laughs> so like, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there you yeah. go. There you go. That's so awesome. So there is like, there is like very much like room for like, <laughs> The growth of a unique sort of Asian Australian culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder like how fast these words get spread around as well. Because yeah. you were saying how like people and all the Asians in Sydney know each other. Maybe it's just yeah. like this ethnic is something that like progresses faster than a lot of other potential like advancements in languages mm. because the the community is such so like much more tight knit. Mm. You know. Yeah, and I and I. I think that's exactly what it is, um, especially because the place where this lang- this ethno like gets um, transmitted is at high school, where you spend so much time with the people you go to high school with. Um, you spend so much time there and you're talking to them so much that they're really um, ideal grounds for something to spread. And you, you can probably think about if for, in your own experiences, like there has to be certain voc- words or um, terms which, you know, kind of like inside jokes everyone in your high school would know but everyone outside your high school might would be like what are you talking about mm. um so they're very ideal grounds for language development and spread um and yeah that's i guess where people picked up 
this accent. Mm. On that note, <laughs> and, though, like, what do yeah. you see as like the future of languages in Australia? You know, like, do you it's think... a big question. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry to hit you with this one. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah. do you think there'll be, you know, almost like an organic convergence towards several languages that being, you know, mm. comprised of a lot of the immigrant um, identities that have come here, where be it Chinese, yeah. Vietnamese, and whatnot. Um, or do you think these smaller um, ethnologues will merge over time? So that's a, um, also like a lot of sort of research has been done into this as well. So um, I'll just mention um, the work done by Sydney Speaks, which is the um, research project done by ANU. And so their research project, um, it looked at Asian Australians and how they speak English, but it limited it to um, Cantonese background Asian Australians who were already in the workforce. Um, so Jeff, you would be like um, a perfect candidate for that if you lived in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and so, so these were people who were a little bit older than um, I guess what I uh, your standard uni student. And what they found was the way they spoke actually um, was much more similar to I guess what you would normally find a um, just you know a well educated um, Australian who works in a professional job. Their accent was like almost converging. And it was almost as if the um, if you looked at the sort of the graphs of their vowels and um, the way they pronounce things, it was almost as if they were trying to outdo um, the white people in sounding Australian. Mm. So, and that, that kind of made me think that, you know, this ethno, like maybe it is something that will disappear once people, you know, go into the workforce or go to a, a space which is not completely Asian because then, you know, they'll have to deal with the sort of the, pressures of wider society mm. of um having to sound a certain way um so maybe it is like a transient thing that you only speak like this when you're age 12 to 22 and then afterwards when you go into the workforce you go back to standard australian speech um which is why that it's so important to study because mm. if it is something that is going to disappear it would be great to have like a record of it so you know future generations so sad, can, though? Yeah, yeah it is kind of sad when you think about it but I guess the only thing, you know, the only thing constant about life is change and mm. language more so. Languages are constantly changing. Mm. Um, and so on your original question about, like, the future of language in Australia, um, I also think, you know, on one hand, we could be heading to convergence where everyone will just end up speaking the same way. But also I feel that the uniqueness of Australia as, like, a very multicultural country and um, could potentially lead to the opposite effect of actually Australian English becoming more and more diverse, especially mm. if people become more aware of it. Um, you know, it could definitely become a thing. I think that, um, so for example, the research done by ANU were the majority of people who were part of it were 25 and above. But if you go to any, like talk to any 17 or 18 year old, you know, Asian kid who's like studies business at UNSW, they will not sound like your typical <laughs> average Australian at all. Yeah. Um, so maybe this is actually, it's emerging. And um, we're, what we're seeing is just the beginning stages of it. Mm. Um, but one thing though, I've always found really curious is whether there are any sort of regional variations in Australian English. Like, cause you guys are in Melbourne mm. um, and you know, I'm Sydney, but you know, it's kind of hard to tell if someone is from Melbourne or Sydney just from the way they speak, don't you think? I feel like Melbourne, Sydney, it's hard. Yeah. To pick out. yeah. There might be like small things, but if you go up north, um, it's probably easier to pick out someone who's from like yeah. regional Queensland. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I think people in Perth have an interesting um, vocab. They have a few extra kind of words. That they, a lot of them mm. use like hell something. <gasps> yeah. yeah that, it's like good. hell good or like, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. There's something I've seen like from a lot of Perth yeah. people. But um, just on that, I think like potentially there's two ways we could go about it we could all converge towards a one like general australian accent or mm. it could become maybe something like um england where it's just like people from london have a specific accent manchester yeah. has its own accent um yeah it's more but th- that variation is so distinct yeah um so maybe maybe it could end up like that mm. yeah. you know i i've actually been thinking firstly on the point of like sort of words different um I've done every person I meet from Melbourne. I ask them this question yeah. just to confirm it, and it's been like pretty accurate so far. But okay, say you're at a say you're at a party. Um, you've had a bit a bit too much to drink. Mm. You head to the toilet and you um you you feel pretty sick. So you're you you're going oh, yeah. to Mind. what's the word? Mind. Yeah, you, Mind. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what did Sydney siders say? We say chanda. Chanda. Um, Chanda. Chanda. That sounds so visceral. Chanda. And like, and it's so weird because like munt in Sydney, this isn't an Asian thing. I think this is in, oh, like in Sydney in general. Yeah. yeah. Munted is like, or you're munted, which means you're ugly. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I always thought it was like getting munted was just like getting really pierced. Yeah. Yeah. So, so oh, yeah. And okay. so you have like that very interesting um, sort of already variation. <laughs> and um month and i think i i I heard um someone else from like adelaide they had their own word and from queensland they had their own word how australian that the variation has to do with like something drinking yeah (laughs) yeah i know and it's well i think that so what the conventional linguistic knowledge is that australia hasn't hasn't existed as an english-speaking country long enough for Mm. there to emerge different regional accents like in the US or in the UK but I also think that so in the US definitely there is convergence younger young people in the US doesn't matter whether they live in New York or Los Angeles are sounding more and more similar to each other Um, but in Australia I think it's kind of different because firstly um, Australians don't really engage with people outside of the state like if mm. i was born in sydney mm. chances are i'm going to spend the rest of my life in sydney it's not like in america where you were born in um, california but you go to university in massachusetts where you meet americans from all over sydney it's very much it's very rare for someone to uproot themselves to go to university or for work mm. um so originally there's that like layer of um um sort of this barrier where people in New South Wales don't really, you know, communicate that much with people in Victoria. Yeah, and true. combined with that, you also don't really have a very popular sort of mass culture in Australia. It's not like in America where everyone watches the same American TV shows. Everyone watches, you know, How I Met Your Mother. So naturally, they get the same sound bites and then they emulate the same sounds. Whereas in Australia, I mean, when was the last time you watched an Australian TV show on Australian, Australian TV? Is trash. Yeah, we we <laughs> we watch like a lot of American TV show, but we don't watch a lot of Australian TV yeah. show. So there's no the Australian English we hear is just from the people around us, um, who are you know either from Sydney or Melbourne. Mm. And because of that, it's maybe very likely that another 20, 30 years, um, you could tell the difference between you can tell the difference between, um. 
Victoria and New South Wales just by the way they speak. So it's fascinating. Yeah. On that note, though, so Jeff and I had a convo about this, and we wanted to hear yeah. your thoughts too. Um, so obviously we're all Asian, um, yeah. and well, personally for me, like I like Vietnamese to me is such a huge part of my you know cultural connection um, mm. to the language, the culture. Sorry, yeah, cultural connection. That's redundant. But anyway, <laughs> um, but that's the thing. So it's something that I want my children to learn, right? Hypothetically. Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, it's kind of like, at what point and to what extent will Vietnamese eventually die out? Like, you know, in my family, for example. Uh, and it's like mm. with Jeff too, right? Mm. Like, if like, we if we teach like Chinese or Vietnamese to our kids, will their children also learn language it, as that's well? It's gonna get harder and harder. Yeah. Yeah. With each generation, it's gonna get increasingly diluted. Like I can yeah. already feel my language skills escaping me. Mm. Oh, like yeah. it's it just every yeah. every year I sometimes I just find it harder to link words together or it's like I get confused between Mandarin and Cantonese. I start like switching in between. Yeah. It's yeah. also when I speak Mandarin because I'm not as good at it. Mm. Um, I will compensate with Cantonese and that just like fucks up my mind. It's like, I yeah. just get really confused. And, but yeah, I, I just always think about it. Like when you have kids, it's, it's not really, we have a choice now compared to our parents. Mm. Cause you know, my parents, like their English isn't that good. So yeah. obviously they were going to speak to me in the language they were comfortable with. And yeah. you know, us going through that, um, that language acquisition phase when you're like a little kid, like yeah. we've like soaked it up yeah. like sponges. Yeah. yeah but now yeah. we're we're multilingual. We have the in- the choice of speaking English or Chinese. Like what what what, what are you going to choose? Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to choose. I mean, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean that's I've had so many conversations about this topic with all my friends like you know are you going to teach your kids Chinese are you just going to let them do whatever mm. and it is like a it's a very difficult sort of question because um hypothetically it's easy to say yeah I'm going to teach my kids Chinese mm. like hands down but you know learning a language isn't it's easier said than done you know mm. it requires um to be in a an environment where you know Chinese is spoken and or mm. like Vietnamese is spoken and all of that so there are a lot of factors which are working against um, the generation after us picking up these languages. But, you know, at the same time, I think that with Chinese in particular, with China, you know, getting stronger on the world stage and Chinese becoming such a um, such like a, a useful language, if that's the word. I don't know. Mm. But um, a lot of people want to learn Chinese now. And so I think a lot of people will kind of capitalize on the advantage they have being Chinese background mm. and having mm. people, um, relatives who can speak Chinese. And so the, the pressure of learning Chinese is probably a little bit more than what it was like 20, 30 years ago. And so I think maybe a lot of, I guess, Chinese Australians at least will want their kids to learn Chinese, not necessarily because they're Chinese, but because, you know, it's a good thing to have on your resume. You know, it could be yeah. potentially useful. Um, but it's also, it's a difficult question because, um, you, Jeff, you mentioned about like when you, when you're a kid, you're a sponge, you pick up language like that. And I think probably even more so with Asian languages, um, with Chinese and especially Vietnamese, because, you know, they're all tonal languages. Mm. Um, Vietnamese is, you know, has so many tones mm. and just anecdotal experience. I feel like it's one of tones are one of those things that if you don't get while you're like a kid. You just yeah. won't get for the rest of your life. Like yeah. you, it, you, it's just. I know so many people 
who you know study Chinese at university or in high school. They're not Chinese, but they studied it in high school or university. Are very very fluent. Can probably speak better Chinese than me and can read and write it, but their tones are just off.、Yeah. Um, and it's because they picked it up as an adult.、Yeah. So, for my kids at least, with that knowledge in mind, I would want them as a kid to be immersed in a sort of、um, a Chinese speaking environment. Because I do feel that there is a window of opportunity. Window, and once you pass that window,、um, the sort of phonetic foundation of the language is just, you know,、mm. it's just impossible to pick. Not impossible, but extremely hard to then pick it back up again.、Um, so yeah, for me,、um, yeah, yeah, um, because you were you were saying there was like that idea of like capitalizing on Chinese and. Because、yeah. it's like a useful skill. Do you think the same thing is happening in China with them making their kids learn English? Oh, definitely. Because definitely. because、yeah. then it's like, <laughs> who do we also learn Chinese? Or is it like is it like a give and take thing? Like yeah, maybe yeah. their、mm. need to learn English outweighs because they want to communicate with us more. And then,、mm, mm. do you kind of see where I'm going with this? It's, yeah, it's no, like, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm just so torn on this. Yeah.、Um, in terms of what?、Like? In terms of like whether or not to sort of t- teach them Chinese, you know, because、yeah. it's just like a、uh, mm. that that would mean you would just have to you and your you have to choose a partner that can、yeah. speak Chinese. You guys have to both be comfortable speaking the language、mm. at home all the time. Yeah. And、um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing, and I, I don't have the answer to it、yeah. now. And I think,、mm. like in in my mind, like my parents always like you have to teach them, you have to like carry on the traditions、mm. and stuff. <laughs> But then I like I don't know, I'm like pessimistic. I think long term,、mm. like even if they pick it up, the chances of them passing it on、yeah. again to the next generation is so like it's、yeah. more, it's way smaller than us. And then what about the next generation? Yeah. And that's one of the ideas I've like I've been like thinking a lot about. Like eventually, maybe like what four. Five generations later,、mm. like what does Australia look like language-wise? Yeah, You're yeah. gonna have this incredible, like appearance-wise, incredibly multicultural. You know,、mm. all facets of the world represented. Yeah, but what do we speak to each other? Yeah. yeah. I always, I always think about it from a food point of view. Like, <laughs> what are the restaurants gonna be like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, on your first point, I mean. It, and I know it's like teaching a child a language seems like such a huge investment. You know, you're gonna have to make sure they have the right environment,、um, stuff like that. But also, it is entirely possible. Even though I said all that about like, oh, if you don't get tones on your kid, you'll never get it. But、um, mm. it is also entirely possible that you know, even if you speak English at home,、um, your kids could just learn Chinese as they would like another language, like French or Italian, just as a second language. And there's no reason why that can't be successful as well. For example,、mm. you know, I learned Japanese as a second language. No one in my family speaks Japanese. I don't, you know, not in an environment where Japanese is constantly spoken. But、mm. I still attain like a very, I, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I like a a, rec- a, a commendable level of fluency、mm. in it. So there's nothing, you know, stopping just you know encouraging kids. Oh, maybe you should, you know, do the Chinese elective at um in high school. Um, or maybe you should major in Chinese at university. May- sure, maybe they won't become like fluent, fluent, but still, sort of having the language. I think it might be、um, might be a little easier than、um, yeah. than having to like put them into China and like only speak Chinese to them stuff like that.、Mm. So yeah, that's a- the thing though. I feel like Australia's problem though is that like 
you know, we're a monolingual country, essentially. Mm, mm, mm. And it's kind of like, what is the incentive to learn other languages? Like, if yeah. you're not yourself, mm, like, bilingual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a huge thing. Right? When, like, English, you know, if, if you're, like, on a plane somewhere yeah. in Spain and you land in Turkey, like, yeah. the language that, you know, that everyone would likely to speak is yeah. English, right? Yeah. So, it's kind of like, what's the incentive to learn other languages? Yeah. I mean, I personally love languages. Yeah. I think they're just an incredible way of thinking mm. and yeah, you know, you learn so much about a culture, but I guess there's this, I guess, broader kind of question of like, but why though? Like, what's the utility of that? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, actually I want to, I want to, um, that's a really good question. I kind of want to hear your sort of opinion on this because I'm not sure if this is true or not, but from what I've heard, um, like about incentives, at least that in Victoria, that, um, for your I, what do you call it VCE or something mm. languages get like an a bonus or something if you yeah. Do. yeah they get a huge bonus yeah, yeah. you get so like yeah. yeah markup that doesn't exist in New South Wales um, and I think they really? did like they did like a um, comparison I can't remember I read it in a news report and they found that much more high schoolers in Victoria study a second language than they do in um, than they do in New South Wales mm. so I didn't know that. so incentives could come from just little things like that being like you do a language you know you might it's easier to get a higher atar um mm. i mean did you guys both study languages in high school yeah so i studied french oh awesome. i didn't i dropped chinese as an act of defiance <laughs> <laughs> um which i heavily regret um to be honest but yeah i i stopped learning it i think i just i don't know we talked about this in like an earlier episode but yeah. i just didn't want to be seen as asian yeah to be bogan or yeah. to be white so i didn't yeah. i basically rooted up like everything that was to do with asian yeah um like presentation wise mm. yeah i was like on that note as well so um it's interesting because i remember like in high school when we were able to kind of like pick what languages we wanted to learn mm. like languages like french and german were so highly sought after whereas like languages like you know indonesian japanese yeah. chinese were just relegated to the bottom of the list yeah they were just like Asian people would do them literally yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like where does that come from like why do we privilege European languages yeah. when realistically that's not going to be of great utility to us yeah, like yeah. China's our biggest trading partner mm, yeah. we are in the Asia Pacific yeah so it's it's interesting but also quite problematic that I think that there's this perception that you know European languages are more attractive yeah and perhaps <laughs> what is that rooted in like white supremacy I yeah don't know. I don't um, know it is it's a it's a huge question like this sort of social meaning we attach to languages i mean exactly. there's always the thing like oh you know people always give asian people um shit for speaking like bad english and they're like oh that accent mm. sounds horrible but if it was a french person or a spanish person speaking um english in that way mm. especially french person they'd be like oh it's so exotic you know so there is a sort of oh, a weird true. um oh. Yeah, it's 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 um I guess it's a thing, and I I really don't like those like, you know there's there's always those surveys um conducted by I don't know who but they're like, oh, the sexiest languages in the world first French oh, second yeah. Spanish third like it's just you know it's complete bullshit in my opinion every yeah. every yeah. language can sound sexy if you speak it in a sexy way but like, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. but um but yeah there is that sort of um. I like social meaning, but even though I guess people mm. learn languages, they don't learn like Asian languages. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it is a difficult question. You're so right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this. I've I think this is a rather controversial opinion. Mm. Um, but to me, it it could just also be like for me, like potentially being in a bubble. But yeah. I feel like 
there isn't as much of a push towards people learning a second language mm. as much as there used to be. Yeah. Um, I think I read a couple of reports a couple of years ago where it's basically like the skills you need, like the skills needed of the future. Like, yes, language is important, mm. but it got outweighed by the ability to like write program languages. <laughs> You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Obviously, this is thinking from like a purely yeah. um, employability yeah. standpoint. But it's like, do you, do you feel that at all? Because obviously, like, you two are still actively learning languages, and I've I've stopped. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm sad about that. But it's and to be honest, if I'll be frank with you, I don't think I will learn another language, mm. and I don't think I'll pursue anything. Yeah, another language because I feel I feel comfortable mm. Um, mm. with what I have going yeah. on, and it's yeah. just like it's not something I feel like I need to dedicate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think what you said is com- def- completely true. I remember talking to one of my high school English teachers, and she said that I think in the sixties and the seventies in Australia, even though you know we think it, it it was a very white period, you know, white Australia policy, no little multiculturalism. But I think what she told me was that to get to university back then, language a foreign language was compulsory. Um, mm. so. Um, yeah, it, the trend definitely seems to be English, number one. We don't need to speak anything else other than English. Um, and yeah, and I mean, programming, of course, maybe they'll program, you know, Google Translate already is making like, it's incredible. Oh my Even God, though, you know, scary. we give it shit for being like, oh, it's not a human translation. But we're just thinking about sometimes it's crazy accurate. Um, yeah. with how well it translates things. I yeah. know because I've Have like... Have seen that tool? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, you yeah. speak into it yeah. in your language and it'll spit out the opposite. Yeah. Like, yeah, the language that you need. It's crazy. It's a crazy. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I've, I've guiltily sometimes used Google Translate for some of my assignments <laughs> when I'm just like, I don't want to think. This is too hard. Um, mm. But, and then I would edit it, obviously, afterwards. But, um, but yeah. And so, obviously. Obviously. Just uh, <laughs> for the um, academic tutors listening to this, um, <laughs> but um, the no thing is, so yeah. maybe in the future, like there just won't be a need to learn another language. Who knows? Um, it is. I think that would be such a shame, though, because a language isn't just yeah. a, a, a method of um, communication. It's also like the culture surrounding it, like you know, having access to a whole different way of thinking of literature of film stuff like that mm. and i hope that for one i think key example is japanese um when you think about it japanese really doesn't have that much utility as a language because even though japan is still you know a big country its economy has been pretty much stagnant for the past 30 years and yet it is still one of the most you know learnt foreign languages in the world even though it is mm. so difficult and so different from other languages and that's purely 90 percent of that I think are from weebs wanting to watch anime without subtitles. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> yeah. like a soft power yeah, thing. Soft yeah. power. So um, people will always find, there will always be people who will learn languages, not necessarily because they think, oh, I can use this at work, but mm. because I just really like anime and I want to live in mm. Japan, stuffing like that. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, and, and for our kids, at least, you know, China doesn't really have, that much of a soft power so they they won't have that sort of soft power yeah they just just have power power. so so they won't have that sort of soft power pull to learn Mm. chinese but then again they have china has like other things like business opportunities stuff like that so Mm. 
for me at least, you know, I will probably be like a tiger parent on this and be like, you have to learn Chinese. <laughs> I'm not giving you a choice. Yeah. Do you it. can do whatever do you it. want in your life, but you know, two things non-negotiable. Take off your shoes when you enter the house and like, <laughs> and you have to learn yes. Chinese. Um, and that's it. You can do whatever you want. You can like become an, yeah. become a poet. I don't care. But um, stuff like that. So, but it's interesting as well. I mean, Jeff, you said you Cantonese as well. You speak mm. Cantonese. It's like people in that back with that in that situation. Like you teach the Mandarin or Cantonese. If you were to teach, I would. Them. I would. Well, probably not Cantonese because like the amount of people that speak Cantonese is just like decreased. Like when you go to the south, like the south part of China, like um Guangdong so it's like that province they don't teach yeah. Cantonese in schools anymore oh yeah um, they teach yeah. Mandarin so my cousin who grew up there mm. cannot speak Cantonese yeah, yeah despite being in our family where we all speak Cantonese to one mm. another so it's like I think as a language like I'd be interested to see like the probably decline of all the regional dialects mm. in China yeah and obviously mm. convergence to like the main yeah. Mandarin because yeah Cantonese is a language like even in Hong Kong like people yes they do speak Cantonese but yeah. English is incredibly widely spoken yeah. there so um, um, Mandarin would probably be the the thing to do yeah. the thing to learn I, I guess yeah in terms of like perceived value and, and stuff I, I don't like that that's all I think yeah. about but it's yeah I can't help it I mean I mean that's like exactly um I guess the that what it is like the 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 general trend of convergence and is but I think it'd, it'd be interesting is for Vietnamese as well because from what I know the, I'm not sure if this is true this is what I just heard from my Vietnamese friends that yeah. um the proper way to speak Vietnamese is based on the northern dialect Oof, yeah but yeah. the majority of like <laughs> Vietnamese in like the west at least are from the south of Viet- I don't know, but, yeah, like, no, but it's like, which no, one do you no. teach them? Which one, which one do you teach them? Do you teach them the proper okay. way or the way you speak? So, yeah. Right, no, this is interesting. So, um, in Vietnam, essentially, there are basically two predominant accents, the northern and the southern mm. accent. And mm. the northern, and this mainly is, I think, divided based on class mm. um, and socioeconomic status. So, historically, the northerners were the ones who went over to France, went over to, you know, Europe and studied. Mm. Um, and they were kind of seen as the elites and the educated, whereas people in the South, mm. which is where my family's from, um, well, were mainly from the middle, but still yep. the Southern accent, um, more kind of working class, a bit mm. more rural. Um, so the Northern accent, there's this more of an emphasis on enunciation. Mm. So, for example, if I say something like... Um, uh okay i'm blanking on words. <laughs> but we say so instead of so it, uh, a word that has like a d in it so yum mm. they say zoom whereas mm. like the well the southern accent kind of like round out that sound mm. and be like yum okay okay so yum versus zoom. yeah yeah but you know technically the proper way is the northern accent mm. but i think mm. and, and and the thing is like it's it's very contentious because it's kind of like oh there's this whole conflict now where if i see a northerner like the like the bias I have in my head is that like oh they're pretentious yeah. they're, like, they're snobby yeah. and whatnot yeah yeah and the, and the, and Northerners view Southerners as pretty like bogan and yeah yeah things. um and you know I've been raised in like a like a Southern accent so I probably will pass it on to my yeah children. okay okay um but that's the thing like it's it's interesting because it's still something that pervades to this day like, yeah in Australia, yeah the divide between Northern and Southern accents yeah, yeah. is pretty mm. wide um but it, it mainly reflects class I'd yeah. Say. So, I mean, that's so fascinating. And it's like, you yeah. know, for this conversation, like, which one do you teach your kids? But, you mm. know, obviously, you know, 
everyone, I guess, will make their own value judgment on that. So, yeah, it's a very interesting topic. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a responsibility as well, though, because yeah. it's like you are, the way you speak is obviously unique to how you were taught, yeah. where your family's from, and the environment you were in. Yeah. And yeah, it, 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 obviously it's like, it, it is pressure because mm. you're determining the successfulness of this language <laughs> continuing Yeah, on. and it's a huge um, pressure, yeah, when you think of yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah, it really is. Uh, and now I'm thinking about it like, is Cantonese going to disappear? <laughs> See, and like, the thing is, like, is the onus on you now to like, yeah, ensure that it mm, doesn't disappear? Is this, mm, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's Some, all of this, it's so fascinating. I think um, one thing that I've always really loved reading about is like the, um, the experiences of other sort of diaspora groups and how they've yeah. like sort of maintained language throughout years and years of separation from their homeland, I guess. And I think one thing that really stuck out to me about, because we're talking about disappearing and stuff like that, um, you know, Jewish people who have, you know, been removed from their original homeland for thousands and thousands of years were still able to maintain, you know, their culture, their customs, and even their language, mm. despite not, you know, and in, in the face of, you know, massive oppression as well. So it's one of those things, it's like, if there's a will, there's a way, you know, if, if, mm. if, if, if people genuinely um, want, were committed to doing it, then it will happen. Um, and I guess it's just the question of whether, because, you know, we all, we all have a finite amount of resources and time, whether it's worth it to put it in. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a key word, isn't it? Whether it's whether it's worth, worth it. it yeah. I reckon it is. Me too. I, 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 I yes. want it to be. I want to say I want <laughs> yeah. to do it. You know, it's just like, but like when push comes yeah. to shove, when it actually, when you actually have like a child yeah. in front of you, then it's like, then you have to make that choice. And, and maybe, you know, maybe your kid when, when he or she's like in high school would be like, you know, I want to learn Chinese myself, not because you told me to, but because, you know, I just want to do it. So mm. there's always the chance mm. of that happening as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I just had an interesting thought though. I guess like, when oh uh, in an ideal situation when our kids go to school Mm. the idea of i guess um being more progressive and being more inclusive Mm. um is something that's more fostered in schools versus like um when you go to primary school and people like laugh at your food or whatever stuff Mm. it's like maybe you know ideally hopefully everyone teaches their kids to be inclusive Mm -hmm. like you know, be friends with everyone who yeah. even if they don't look like you. So maybe like instead of the inverse of what's happened to us in the sense that we've kind of tried to shed yeah. our identity, mm. our, our cultural identity, they will in turn want to embrace oh, the diversity. Definitely. And maybe that's through language. Definitely. I love that. And maybe, yeah, I can, that makes me feel really good. Actually. Yeah, definitely. You see like, um, like, you know, you go to any Chinese class right now in any high school, year seven, year eight, you know, it's a bunch of white kids learning Chinese because, you know, and they all have very definite ideas about why they want to learn it. It's become sort of the cool language to learn now such that, you know, Mm. it would be weird. I'm just thinking, just jumping off from that thought, like we saw the same thing happen with food, like Asian food was unpopular until it wasn't until, and then suddenly everyone wanted to make, you know, Asian food. And I think maybe we've- That's an episode. Yeah. And maybe with language as well, like Asian languages were considered ugly and like, you know, horrible sounding. But now like so many people who aren't Asian are running to learn Asian languages. And so it'd be weird, like, you know, for our kids, for the next generation, if, um, you know, all the white kids at the school were learning Chinese and they were learning French, that would just be a weird dynamic if you think about it. 
Um, Piggybacking on that thought, just because it was inspired by the food thing, mm. what if, now, I don't know if this will happen, but what if a lot of white people started learning Chinese <laughs> and they developed their own sort of ethnic oh version of Chinese <laughs> and that was perceived spicy. as a higher form of Chinese <laughs> than actual Chinese because... Oh my God. In, do you know? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, is that's this like right. dystopian world kind of Dystop- shit? That that to be to be continued. Yeah, yeah. To be continued oh, that that would make like a great sort of like you know TV show or like. Oh yeah, d- dude, that is actually good plot. Good plot. That's an amazing <laughs> plot. Wow, like can. <laughs> I'm not gonna. We're not gonna air this episode. Yeah, I can't, I can't have copyright. You know, say it now. <laughs> copyright to the Asian podcast. You know, but that's you know that's that's fascinating. Like, that's fascinating. I mean, mm. we've kind of seen that sort of with um, African American vernacular English. With you know, people mm. used to view it as ghetto, but now all the like modern slang we use right now, like lit, you know, all of that. Oh my god, on free is all pretty much based on um, African-American English slang. So, and and now that, because everyone uses it, it's viewed as cool. But originally, Mm. when it was only the African-Americans using it, it was viewed as, like, ghetto. It wasn't, like, you know, it was Mm. looked down upon. So, you know, it is in... While this sounds fantastical, you know, this idea of, like, white people developing, you know, their own version of the language, it you know, there is historical precedent to it, sort of. So, Mm. yeah. When you think about watch this space. Yeah, that's I just, I just got chills. I, I guess <laughs> this has been such a good conversation, yeah. Thank you and so I guess much, I guess yeah. this is the last thing. Mm. Um, do you have any hot takes? Do I have any hot takes? Oof. Yeah. About language or just life in general? Oh uh, <laughs> anything. Could just be language, could just be life in general, but we'd love a hot do take. I have... But all good. Oh don't. hot takes, hot takes, hot takes. Oh don't really have any hot takes that wouldn't launch like another one hour conversation <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd love to have know, another hour it would be great yeah be um oh, oh okay my hot take I tell it's I really don't like bubble tea I just I don't like it I <gasps> I don't get it I don't get why it's okay. like such a big thing back yourself yeah. what's your I just, I, yeah your <laughs> I don't I it just like you know it was just you know oh bubble tea existed and then suddenly just became this huge like culture in itself and then like everyone was drinking it everyone was making jokes about it my friend wrote her honors thesis on bubble tea so no seriously so i was like this what was the topic it was something about like language use in the way they name like different flavors and stuff yeah something like that's so cool so but i mean i just it's it's just it's just tea with milk in it i'd rather have like a (laughs) coca-cola or something and it's expensive. What is like textured tea though? It's a texture thing. Yeah. Asian people love textures. It's you know, that's the whole... There's like so much sugar in it. It's not good for you. <laughs> I would rather just have a soft drink or drink water. So that's my hot... Actually, no. I, I agree with you in that sense. I don't get people who drink bubble tea with yeah, no sugar. Yeah. What, what's the point? <laughs> like, what's the yeah. point, you know? Like those people who order zero sugar... Yeah. You, you guys wig me out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but, but yeah. That, that's actually, that's actually, that's pretty That's hot a hot, take. that's yeah. my hot take. Yeah, pretty, pretty good yeah. take. I do agree though. I feel like there has been this like explosion of culture yeah. around bubble tea, which I find a bit yeah. weird to be mm. honest. Like, yeah. Um, I, I think 
No, but I back it though. Like if it, you know, it, it's just yeah. like every kind of emergency yeah. Like yeah. popularity. But people are just trying to outdo each other. I think that's now. A, it's just yeah. like the thing. That's yeah. the thing. I, I think the it's so expensive. <laughs> the thing is, like when like drinking bubble tea has become like so weirdly this integ- integral part of like the Asian diaspora experience. I was like. Where did mm. that come from? Um, so mm. uh, it's just a weird development. I guess you know I have to accept it because every time I go up with my friends, everyone's like, "Let's go get bubble tea, oh my god!" And I'm like, oh, "Pass." <laughs> yeah. I once said I'd get a boost juice. That's fair. Yeah, you do you yeah. though. You do you. Yeah. 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 All right, we might have no it up no there. Eyes. Um, but thank you so so much for this an incredibly fascinating conversation. Mm. I've learned so much. Same. Yeah. Same. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will have as well. So really appreciate you mm. again uh, for coming onto the show. And yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Is there anything else you want I'm to say? I'm good as well. Uh, just to yeah, sign up. All, all good. good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, no, Bowfoot. We'll speak to you soon. And thank you to everyone at home and listening.